Welcome to Mindlocks. I am Rabbi Jeremy Marquise. I am Adir Yolkut. Hi, I'm Josh Buchan. And uh, thank you for joining us for our fifth episode of Mindlocks. Uh, we want to thank our listeners for listening. And uh, a shout out to Marcus Rubenstein at Rav Mert, M-E-R-T, who tweeted us his goal. Thank you for tweeting at us, Marcus, Rabbi Rubenstein. His goal was to uh, stop making fixed goals and savor the dynamic joy found in everyday changes of life. I think that was really deep. So thank you, Marcus, for tweeting at us. It's also a good anti-goal goal. It's like <laughs> goal true. is not to have a goal. I love it. Very subversive. I'm into the subversive. Yeah. What does that mean? What, what does that mean, what he said? What do you think it means? I don't it's know. Like my, I, I like, read it in a kid's book once. <laughs> no, it's like he's saying, like, my goal is to not have any fixed goals. Whoa. But I like the savoring, the dynamic joy in everyday life. That's good. I very like mind locks. Very mind locks type of statement. Nice. Well written. Well written. Join so, the pod. So thank you uh, for tweeting at us. We'll have, we'll probably have uh, Rabbi Rubenstein on the pod sometime soon. Um, so keep tweeting us your goals. We'll, uh, we'll share them and try not to make fun of you for tweeting at us. How does no the promises. Steen Stein name get pronounced differently? Is there anything that dictates that? Cause Marcus is Ruben Steen and our other good friend who's probably listening is Lee Epstein. And he's very, very particular about how that is. So is there anybody in this crowd who knows what dictates that? Lee, I've been saying your name wrong for five years. Sorry. <laughs> I guess it's got to be like uh, like family tradition. Like at a certain point, however however long ago, somebody made the decision, or different sides of a border, and you know, maybe just, it's they, like you know. I think in the German, Stein um, probably means whatever it means, and <laughs> like we've we've appropriated it to be used in an English speaking country. We say um, Steen because that's how we pronounce things. Like in the same way that I don't know how the original. Um, is pronounced, but we say niche here, like when you're talking about some sort of, you know, like limited market. But usually, I, I feel like in its origin, it's it's niche, right? So in a similar, is a similar kind of thing. I don't, I don't feel qualified to have this conversation. <laughs> yeah. Nothing that we talk about here, uh, do any of us should should any of us feel qualified for? I guess that's the fun of having a podcast. Right. <laughs> well, anyway. with with that with that in uh, with that in mind. Uh, <laughs> Josh, why don't you introduce our uh, our first topic? Speaking of Steins. <laughs> so it's, a, it's a bit of a big topic here. We, we weren't sure if we wanted to go the, the serious route or the sweet route, so I'm going to present both options. Today I want to talk about anti-Semitism and donuts. Oof, love it. So I'm going to frame both of these things. That's the anti-Semitism piece. You know, we've seen a lot of statistics recently about how anti-Semitism is on the rise and... There have been a few incidents in particular, which I've heard about, which have sort of gotten me thinking about these things. One incident happened a couple of weeks ago. There was a Hillel rabbi in Texas who approached publicly um, a prominent figure in the, in the alt-right movement who was speaking at his campus and, and, and basically invited, invited the, the speaker to, to join him in, in, in Torah study, saying that our tradition offers a vision of radical inclusivity and of, of great love and and he, and he sort of gave the speaker this invitation and the speaker like came down on him with, with, a, with a pretty good response. And the rabbi was sort of stunned about how to react. And I want to hold that piece and juxtapose with another story I heard just yesterday about someone who had been 
who was a Jew wearing a kippah in a restaurant who was approached by someone very hostily. And the person was telling me the story and saying, like, well, now we should all be wearing kippot outwardly as a way of showing solidarity and a way of, a way of sort of engaging other people in, in conversations about Judaism and about how, how not all Jews are like X, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think these are two different models for how to approach this sort of new form of anti-Semitism. And I'm, I guess I'm wondering, like, what your thoughts are about, about this, about how to approach anti-Semitism, about how to approach anti-Semites. And just to keep it light and a little sweet, I'd love to hear some of your favorite dumb spots around the world as well. <laughs> uh, I just want to say before, before we delve in um, that uh, this rabbi, uh, friend of the pod, uh, we'd love to have him on to, uh, to join us. We, uh, we know him from school, so a little shout out to him. Yeah. Also, if he has favorite donut spots, he should feel free to share them as well. Yes. Yeah, I'm definitely wondering what the donut scene is like around the Texas A&M campus. Right. College Station. Go Aggies. <laughs> I don't think there's like a, a good way to encounter anti-Semites other than to not give them power in any way, right? To not give them spaces to convince people of their crazy ideas. Um, that we have to stand firm against them, right? We're not going to convince them of of their uh, of their opinions, but they could, I don't know, better get to know uh, Jews, right? There's a story I forget his name of a, a black guy who basically went to Klan rallies and got to know members of the KKK, and over time really did pull these KKK members away from. The clan, because they knew people, right? Their hate couldn't withstand an actual person, right? That their hate was generalized, but they can't. Once once they got to know someone that they presumably hated, that they realized that the hate wasn't withstanding. So I think that those are the two pieces I would respond. One is not to give them much space, while also disrupting their hate by human interaction. And I would uh, want to do a shout out for uh, Voodoo Donuts in Portland, Oregon, my hometown. Thank you for including the donut thing in there. So, you know, I think I think I like agree with what you're saying, ideally, right? That like theoretically, I do believe that a lot of the hatred and violence and bigotry that exists in this world exists because like we see people as an other and we don't recognize like the, the, the humanity of someone. So for someone to go to a Klan rally and say like, oh, this is this is this is who you're demonizing like look I'm a real person I think that 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 can be healing in theory in reality I like feel really skeptical about how effective of a strategy that can be like if if like in my experience of like wearing a kippah out I've often been confronted by people and thankfully really thankfully I've never had any anyone so hostile approach me but I've had lots of people talk to me in ways that have not felt like so safe and I'm not sure that it's my duty in that moment to, to try to like, oh, like I'm going to convince them of something different. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to change their mind. Like, I'm not sure that, that like the five minute interaction on the subway, or like the two minutes in line is going to be the thing that's going to like shift their, their, their paradigm. I just want to push back on that because I actually think the little, the little interactions are so much more powerful than the big ones, right? The two minutes of kindness that you can give someone might change their whole day or their whole week. That's on a broad level, not just in this case. So I'm not sure that I would agree that the efficacy of small events is is not is not powerful. Uh, Jeremy, I I, am, I admire your idealism, but I, I like feel like you're not um, fully taking into account the kind of people we're talking about dealing with. 
I would say that also there's a distinction between someone like Richard Spencer, who was the speaker at A&M, versus, and I don't know this guy you mentioned who would go to the Klan rallies, but like most people who are going to, I, I, this is a guess, I've never been to a Klan rally. Most people who are going <laughs> to Klan rallies, I feel like are fairly, uh, this is going to be a generalization, but I feel okay making it, are like country bumpkins who are fairly simple-minded and are willing to kind of join into the masses in the crowd. So interactions with someone who can show them the other side or a kind of human, the human um, interest in the case, it's going to be more convincing. But Richard Spencer and his ilk, people who are in the leadership, are silver-tongued manipulators um, who will take advantage of any opportunity to make the point that they want to make. And going in that situation probably isn't the best kind of strategy because what happened is exactly what he wanted to happen, which is like he was able to twist Matt's message, which was a nice message, and use it to make this kind of larger point about Israel and how really fit into his narrative of this kind of globalism where um, each ethnic group should be in their specific place because ultimately a group like that um, wants to use and wield Jews opportunistically to say, look at Israel. Israel's done a great job of kind of wiping out certain others in their in their um, country, and we should take an example from Israel. And Matt was trying to use an example of radical inclusion in a positive way. So it can be spun, and you have to be careful. I think that goes to my first point, which was not giving those people power. But that's giving them power. Go ahead, Josh. Sorry. No, all I wanted to say, dear, was as our resident Southerner, I actually think you are qualified to talk a little bit Thank you. about some of those, those country rallies. <laughs> Thank you. Born below the Mason-Dixon line. That's right. On a serious note, though, I'm wondering if you have a favorite flavor of donuts. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've gone to my relationship with donuts is quite complex. Um, you know, as you guys don't know, I don't do a great job of indulging these days. But I did as a young as a young chubber, as I like to look back on my early years. <laughs> uh, I would eat a lot of donuts, and oftentimes I actually would go to um, the Dunkin' Donuts with my dad on the way to elementary school to Solomon Schechter, and on Friday mornings we would always go. Um, and I uh, I walked a little bit off the beaten path because I would get there there was cinnamon like um, I don't know it wasn't a roll it was like a kind of long john like a, it was it was like a cinnamon bun though. What's uh, a so long john? Uh, a long john is a type of donut that is like lengthy more than circular like braided a little bit I've never yeah. heard of that before must be you, geographical you have not spent so much time you've not spent enough time in donut shops Clearly. They're, they're too they're too old school for voodoo to have you know it's like we're <laughs> not that we can't have anything traditional but in any case it brings up questions of what really constitutes a donut does it need to have a hole in the middle does it need to be glazed um, but if I were to have to choose in the classical category I would say a cake donut I love it like a plain cake donut moist enough but just a simple flavor really lovely kind of just hits the hits all the taste buds that you need to hit yeah i know i i love what you just said about like recognizing the multiplicity of donuts available in the world and i want to just tie this back in with what we were saying about neo-nazis <laughs> and all right and anti-semitism in general um you know i think that there isn't going to be like any one easy way for how to approach people like like ultimately i do think i agree with what you're saying adir in, in that like I'm not sure that people can be swayed that that like the people in the leadership, let's say, are, can, are going to be swayed by one individual um, interaction. But maybe in the same way that like you can go to a donut store and like have different donuts. Maybe there are certain people who might be swayed by the kind of like uh, idealism that Marquise is talking about. Just wanted to bring it all together. As a as a takeaway for for our listeners, what what are your what are some of the things that that we can or might need to do, um, you know, to confront anti-semitism an example uh that comes to mind is what's happening in whitefish montana 
where uh, neo-Nazis uh, led by this this uh, person, Richard Spencer, Richard Spencer um, who, you know, these very small population of Jews are, are being separated and threatened, right? Are there things that we can be doing to be supportive of them, but, but really of, of anti-Semitism everywhere, right? So I'm in Pittsburgh, and I saw a post on Facebook about how um, there was a swastika, that was post, you know, spray painted somewhere not that far from from where I live. Uh, so are there things that we should be doing or can be doing? And that's, you know, a positive note in terms of, of responding to anti-Semitism. Um, I would say two levels of response. I mean, I think in the situation of Whitefish and other situations where we're already seeing Jews targeted and they're not necessarily in our area, I think we can be as vocal, um, vocally supportive as possible and, and lending our platforms to them and making known what's happening. And that's clearly been seen there because there's been a lot of response now from the local government to try to protect them. And I would also say one more point. I am a lover of our first lady um, and a lover of our current president who gave an excellent speech last night. And one of the things she's famous for was saying, especially on the campaign trail, was this idea of when they go low, we go high which is a really nice, again, back to this kind of idealist versus realist perspective. That's a really nice idea, but I actually kind of feel like we need to switch up our strategy. And when we're talking about people who, who practice in mudslinging um, and gerrymandering and all this other stuff that's happening or explicit kind of anti-Semitic actions, um, I wonder what it looks like to go low against them and to fight back in a way that throws it back in their faces. And that might not be what we think and, you know, turn the other cheek and all that way, but it feels like we need to change how we think about this stuff because our current tactics might not be so effective. What I was going to say is I think we should, we should stop using the term alt-right. I know it's like a little more PC, but I think we should start just referring them as neo-Nazis. Right. White nationalists or neo. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're different well, things, but I understand, but yeah, like, I'm with you. Like, like, like I think we should just, you know, I think like semantics and maybe just semantic argument. Right. But like, call it what I they are. Know, call them what they are. I don't know if that's really going to help. Maybe that'll just add, fuel to the fire but i don't know we should recognize like like the danger of what's happening and and the and the and the threats and the and the fear of it i want to just add i think in addition to confronting anti-semitism honestly while also not blowing it out of proportion i'm not saying that it's not a serious issue and not saying that it's not something we need to be dealing with in a really serious way but making distinctions between things that are really anti-Semitism and things that are not so that our energies can be focused appropriately, I think is a really big piece that we're not great at, I would say, as a Jewish community, right? That we, like, things that are really anti-Semitism, like what's happening in Whitefish, where Jews are literally being blamed for the ills of a city and who are being threatened, that's real and we have to deal with it. And when swastikas are put up, like, that's real anti-Semitism. The other thing I wanted to say is, I think it's important when we when we're confronting anti-Semitism to also be confronting other forms of racism, right? That that anti-Semitism is a form of racism and should be included in all work we're doing to try and end hate, right? That you know uh, things that are anti-black or anti-immigrant or anti-gay, you know, LGBTQ, you know, any, any, any kind of, of hate like that, I think we have a responsibility to confront. And I think by being partners in ending hate, anti-Semitism fall, ends up being supported as, as, a, as a greater whole. 
So I, I think those are the things that, that I, I'm taking away. Great response, Marquise. That's why people say you are sweet and sour. <laughs> <laughs> that is a true statement. A little bit of inside joke. Look, on that, on that note, maybe we'll just conclude by, by me sharing my own personal favorite donut and my favorite donut spot. It's a place called Happy Donuts, a rather ubiquitous name for donut shop in the beautiful state of Albany, California, right on the border of where Albany and Berkeley meet on San Pablo Avenue. Great place, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. I've spent many, many, many nights there in my life. Great place to go late at night. They always have some fresh donuts. And I would say that my number one donut choice is, it's a, I would say I, I got to pick two. Um, <laughs> one is just a good old-fashioned like chocolate glazed donut. It's awesome. The other way to go is a maple cruller. Crullers are the ones that are like a little bit smaller, a little bit more buttery, a little bit more ridged. I don't know what they do in them, but like somehow it's like a little bite of heaven. So there you go. We got our heaven, the donuts, we got the hell, the, the neo-Nazis all come together at mind locks. Don't ever say ridged and a, like a slice of heaven again, please. <laughs> that was like a really strange way to describe. Your, the sensual description of donuts is, is going to match as the inauguration people said the sensual tone of the inauguration they announced that two days ago i don't know what that means nor do i have any interest in hearing about it in the same way i don't have interest about hearing ridge donuts going in your mouth is this our weirdest podcast yet let us know <laughs> okay we Please. will be right back for our second segment where we will talk about rogue one Welcome back to Mindlocks. We are here at our second segment where we are going to discuss a recently released movie. Perhaps some of you have heard of it. Um, I think it was fairly well received, a film called Rogue One. What stood out to me about Rogue One was the fact that it was actually really good and that throughout my life I've seen a number of Star Wars movies in theaters. I would say I've seen I guess this is the fifth Star Wars movie, like original movie I've seen in theaters. Like I saw the original, original one they were re-released, but this is like the fifth new one I've seen in theaters. And I was like, wow, finally, after like all these years, I finally get to see like a good Star Wars movie in theaters. I don't know if that's a controversial statement for some people who were a fan of episode seven or episode one uh, to three. But in my, in my opinion, Rogue One was actually like the, the first really decent Star Wars movie made in the last 20 years. Why do you, what do you like about it, Josh? For one thing, I'm just going to come out and say this. I, I cried. It made me cry a couple times. I was like really moved by... Um, also, you know, if, you, if you haven't seen it yet, um, you might want to skip ahead. Uh, this is a, your, your friendly spoiler alert. No, you know what? At this point in time, you're not, you can't give spoiler alerts. For, there's a, there's what, like a I feel strongly date. about spoilers. What can I say? I think that if you're someone who's so concerned about spoilers for Rogue One, like at this point, you, you've probably seen it. That's probably fair. Anyway, go on, Josh. So I was like, so I thought it was awesome. You know, it was in like the Star Wars world. It had some of the Star Wars mythology. Um, I was moved by the characters, the like seeing the, the, the arc of the main girl, of the main woman as she developed and as she grew. And, and as, you know, initially no one believed her and eventually they believed her and they came around. Like, I thought it was powerful. It was a great, a great, a great liberation story. And, and I loved the ways that it kind of fit in. The one thing that I didn't like about it was was he basically took like the one big, maybe the biggest plot hole in all of the Star Wars mythology, which is like how the how do you have like a Death Star 
that's this amazing planet destroying thing with like one weakness, which is you can just like anyone, you just shoot two things in the center or whatever, and it blows up. And and that had actually always bothered me about the original movies. It's like, wait, how is it that it's like this amazing thing, but like no one thought to put like a, like a vent or like a, like a, a covering over that to protect it from, it's like they basically went back in and like, they're like, okay, what's like the one big problem and how do we resolve it? Oh, it's like intentionally put in there as a way of, you know, ensuring that it could be destroyed by the rebellion. Of course, the problem with that then becomes like if the if the empire knows that the plans are stolen, why don't they just like change it? Change what? Like the movie ended with like Darth Vader being like, "Oh, go like look through all of the plans and figure out like if if the guy who made the Death Star has made it okay." Clearly, he didn't make it okay. Why don't they just discover the plans that she stole or some other record of the plans and be like, "Oh, there's like this one weakness in it." that can be exploited easily we'll just like fix it but it's like looking for the blueprints for a small planet like it's not like you would necessarily it wouldn't necessarily jump out as something that people would you would see right if it's a if it's a plans i mean the thing is is gigantic right finding it's like finding a needle in a haystack it's a good point (laughs) well i'll I'll respond with some blasphemy here actually because i have to tell you and i don't know if this is generated i don't know what it is I enjoyed Rogue One and I enjoy watching the Star Wars movies, but I I just, I don't find myself kind of um, having the kind of fandom that most people feel about it. And I'm a person who likes sci-fi movies. You guys can attest to, we watched a lot together, we watched a lot of sci-fi TV shows. And I would rather, if you gave me the choice, sit down and watch all the Lord of the Rings than watch all of the Star Wars movies. And I know that's not at all what most people think, but, and I don't know what it is. Like they're enjoyable to me, but the kind of, the atmosphere that that bubbles up around it, the lore and mystique that it has, I I think it's good. I don't think it's that. I, I think that um, the the depth of J.R.R. Tolkien's work, I think you're right, is so much deeper than the original works that that provide the the source material for Star Wars. So I think there's a there's some real truth to that because I remember when I was watching. Rogue One, I felt like it didn't go very deep, right? It was is very superficial, yeah. Um, and I think that that is uh, to its detriment in a lot of ways. That that the movie, right, was a bunch of people who, you know, were fighting whatever, but it didn't go into there. I, I didn't feel like I felt I, I I could see anybody's soul. Where in Luke Skywalker, with Luke Skywalker in, in the um, in the original trilogy, like I felt like we got to really know him and his and his issues. So I, I hear I hear what you're saying, Adir. Thank you. I think you're a bit of a simpleton. Go on, Adir. I feel like that's like um, like okay, the original movies are like a little boring. Granted, they move slowly. You have to wait a long time. There's a lot of setup. There's a lot of there's a lot of building, but the mythology that they capture is so much more. Deep and so much more fleshed out, I think. Is it? Then I think so. You know, I think so. I think you're getting into murky waters when you start to critique other people's personal movie choices. Like you often have told me that right behind Star Wars for you is is the movie Battlefield Earth with John Travolta, and that's <laughs> lamp- <laughs> that's been lampooned as one of the worst movies of all time. Yet you consider it in your top five. So you know, for you to come to me, it's a bit ridiculous. I think. No, I'll tell you what I love about Battlefield Earth. You know, as someone, as a man of faith, which I occasionally am, I'm, 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 I'm really moved by that movie, which is really based on the work of, of a great Rebbe, uh, L. Ron Hubbard of Scientology, yeah. who, who really fleshes out his whole, his whole theology in that movie beautifully through one of his true believers, John Travolta. So uh, as, a, as a fellow, as an appreciator of faith, 
of faith traditions around the world. I, I'm really drawn to that movie because of that. I think I might have just thrown up in my mouth a little hearing you say that. Shout out John Travolta. <laughs> Friend of the pod. Yeah, totally. Uh, what I did like about Rogue One was two things. One, that I, there was a lot of great stuff from the broader galaxy. I, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago when we talked about this the first time. I liked a lot of the, the different pieces, different cultures that you saw kind of overlapping. And the second thing yeah. I really liked was, unlike the other movies, this really felt like an ensemble cast, right? Even though there was a main character, we really got to learn about all of these different characters and they all had really, yeah, they all had decent, decently large roles. I, I felt like we got to know a bunch of the different characters and they were different enough from each other that we could really, we all, everyone could find something in that movie to connect to. There's another example, and we can end on this, about why uh, Star Wars fans, I don't get it, or they annoy me kind of. I forget the character's name. The He's on. He's in the, the Empire. He was the general who, he actually died, but they CGI'd him in. What was What's his name in the movie? Um, on, Admiral, Admiral something, Varkin or something like that. Yeah, Dwork- I know who you mean. I don't know his name. Dworkin? Also- Ron Dworkin? Go ahead. Sorry. Carrie Fisher was also CGI'd there in the end. No. Oh, that's okay. True. But no, I'm saying people were people were up in scene. arms about because this guy died that they put him in and they did all this stuff. It's like who gives a shit? Just watch the movie, enjoy it. There haven't been good, many good Star Wars movies uh, in the cinema for most of our lives. So don't take to task this one little issue and be so embroiled in controversy over it. I actually want to respond to that because I feel that <laughs> there's a piece of it that is disrespectful to the actor. Right to this guy who died, whose likeness they brought on. I don't know if they, you know, asked permission or what what happened, you know, in, in the back of the scenes. But I don't know. It feels like it was. It's strange to see someone who's dead on screen in that way. I, I just it's it's a little awkward. Maybe no, I walked out of the theater and there were a few young women who were having a discussion about this issue and I was waiting for someone who was in the bathroom and they were like, yeah, it's like this really interesting ethical debate, whether or not you can use someone's likeness and CGI in a movie. And I was like, how is that an ethical debate? I don't think it, I don't I, like, I totally disagree. Marquis is that it, that, that it's like this big moral issue. Like, like one, they probably did ask permission from someone of the person's estate. Um, first of all. And like, secondly, like it's a great way of honoring someone. Like I would love after I die to have someone spend millions of dollars to recreate my image so that I can show up in a movie that millions and millions of people are going to see. Like, that's such a great honor. You yeah. Talk, like, it's amazing. Like, that's the dream. Like, And trust me, th- that family, when those royalty checks are coming into the estate of whoever that actor was, there's not going to be much complaining from them, I don't imagine. I might, you know, I'm okay being in the minority here, thinking that this is a little strange. But that's okay. I'm hoping to see Tupac make an appearance in the next Star Wars film as well. <laughs> well, that would be awesome. Well, well, I think in a in a similar way, right? We Carrie Fisher, you know, Aleha Shalom, right? Now that she's she's uh, died, right? She was going to probably play a big role in the next Star Wars movie. You know how they deal with that, right? Are they going to CGI her or are they going to change the script? Who knows? Um, but I think, right, this can continue to play in a in a serious way as as these stories progress. I don't I don't think this is the last we'll see of this of this situation. We will be right back. 
right, we are back, coming in hot with our third segment, which is going to be our uh, media take of the week. We gotta cut a sponsor for this, really, like do something alliterative and come up with a nice title. And anyway, let's look out for M companies for our maybe MT media. T- anyway, um, I'll just do a continuation of mine last week because because now that I've I binge watched the whole first season, uh, this show that I talked about on Netflix called Fauda. Uh, which was amazing. Like the pacing just got even better and the plot was developed really um, complexly and um, it was awesome. Uh, so I've been on this kick, this Israeli show kick, which I often get to during the year when I'm not back in Israel. Uh, and so I started watching another one after it called Hostages, which is kind of a similar style about uh, like a one day or a couple days kind of focused event in Israel and the and it's very um, intense and the acting is pretty good. Not as good as the other one, but but I recommend both. Uh, start with Fauda and then check out Hostages or if you like to work from not as good to great, uh, start in the other direction. That's where I'm at. I know I'm like 15 years late on this, but I've really been into the show The Wire recently. Just yeah. started watching finally. Adir has been telling about it for years and other people have as well and um, lives up to the hype. If you haven't seen it, if you're like me and you haven't seen it somehow, I, I recommend checking out the exploits of all those guys down in Baltimore. Come at the king, you best not miss. I uh, have been, I just started this book yesterday. I was so involved in it, I, I read the first half of it. It's called The Art of Learning by Josh Waitskin. Uh, he is the subject of Searching for Bobby Fischer, both the book and the movie. Um, the chess, The chess guy and he you know being this amazing chess player he spent a bunch of time learning uh tai chi and is like a seven time world championship in the the fighting version of tai chi his book is all about how we learn and how to learn better i suppose and nice. i it's really interesting to hear his experiences as a kid playing chess and the pressures of what happened after the movie and the book came out. So uh, it's really, really interesting. And I would highly encourage people to, to take a look. I'm reading it from the library. It's called the art of learning. Nice. All right. Well, everyone, thank you for sharing. Uh, It's been a great, great episode this week. Felt like we (laughs) kept it good light, some lightness, some heaviness, some good media takes. We got to talk about star Wars a little bit. Always fun. And uh, going, yeah, always, we always keep it 100 on here, uh, going into a long weekend. So we hope it's a great holiday weekend for you. Celebrate the legacy of Martin Luther King. Uh, as I watch the press conference on mute over here, as our country continues to, um, go on the path it's headed, we can, we can continue living in the legacy of, of MLK, of Dr. King. So have a great weekend. We should uh, take some time to read some of his speeches, maybe. On the podcast? Yeah, just people should in general, I think. Oh, sure. Definitely. And maybe Good we'll life advice. And maybe we'll read one, uh, some of it on the on the next pod. There you go. Maybe an excerpt. Hashtag goals I have. All right, y'all. All right. Have a good week, everybody. Bye bye. Welcome back to Mindblocks. I hope you enjoyed that commercial for Wheaties. Mindblocks, <laughs> sponsored by Wheaties. Get your Wheaties on. We in this... <laughs>
Maybe maybe cut out that part. Get your Wheaties on? Is that a real tagline? Dude, I don't know. Maybe. Have you ever had Wheaties? <laughs> no. Like shredded wheat? No. <laughs> Just two different cereals. I was thinking of shredded wheat. Yeah, clearly. Ridge. Probably was Ridge shredded wheat. All right. Yeah. In any case, go ahead. Micro Ridges. All right. Do the do the welcome back again. You got to put that in there at the end. Yeah, I will. All right.